welcome to the HMP Governance Lab podcast. I'm Holly Jarman. I'm a professor of health management and policy at the University of Michigan. And I'm here with my colleague, Scott Greer, who is also a professor of health management and policy at Michigan. And today we're going to start talking about agenda setting. Uh, so what exactly is that, Scott, for people who've never heard of this term before? It's a bit political science. So what do we mean by that? It might be a bit political science, but it's a term you know if you've ever been in a formal meeting or even an informal huddle where there's something that you need to talk about. There's a list of items that aren't on the agenda. And the more important and high stakes the discussion, the more important that agenda becomes because what's not on the agenda is not going to get any action. And what is on the agenda is going to force itself into the eyes of powerful people and make them demand some kind of an action. So in other words, it's sort of like um, how we pay attention to some things and really give them all our energy as a society. And just we don't pay attention to some other problems, which might be like really severe problems. But then if they're not on the agenda, they're not going to get any attention. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. The agenda is what we are talking about, and that's the necessary precondition for getting any decisions made. Okay. So give me an example of something that you think um, gets attention. In 2020, chronologically, big year. First of all, impeachment got the attention, got seized the agenda. That was what Washington and our political elites were talking about. We had a rapid transition to COVID-19, seizing the agenda at every level, local, state, federal, and global. That was what political elites were talking about. And then in the United States, we moved on to Black Lives Matter and the defund the police protests in the summer before looping back to a combination of the election and the pandemic. In each of these cases, be it impeachment, pandemic, protests, white supremacy, or the election, you are not going to get onto the agenda and get your issue discussed unless you can frame it in light of the problems that are obsessing all of our political leaders. And that is where the theory begins to develop. Okay. So I think it's important to stress here that you're not just talking about legislation, because I feel like when we talk about political agendas, sometimes people think of, okay, what's on the agenda of Congress this year? So, you know, a lot of the things you've just mentioned were certainly ongoing systemic problems that necessarily as a society, and particularly if you think about the media and politicians, we weren't paying attention to. It doesn't mean they're not real problems or very significant. It just means that our attention has been distracted and drawn elsewhere. So reframing that agenda becomes really important. Yes, and that's part of the ingredients that we have in an agenda in a three streams model of predicting the agenda. But I want to pick up on something you said earlier, because it's crucial with this analysis that it's not the same thing as legislation. You can put something on the agenda and you don't get any decision on it necessarily or positive decision about it. So for example, surprise medical billing got on the agenda in 2020 and 2019 and nothing happened. A number of members of Congress made a lot of money. A lot of lobbies spent a lot of money. But the fact that it was on the agenda and that there were policy ideas to deal with it did not translate into actual legislation. Very common error in public health to apply the analysis that we're about to give you and then think you use it to explain a decision. You're not explaining a decision because a decision isn't the same thing as the agenda. I got really mad about that surprise medical billing um, issue because... So here we're talking about 
the idea that we would be able to legislate and somehow alleviate the problem of people having medical care and then being totally shocked by an enormous bill that's far beyond their means. And so you would think that Congress would be able to do something about an issue where, in theory at least, they had quite a bit of consensus. Um, so I was annoyed that they didn't manage to fix that. Agenda isn't the same thing as decision. We had an idea on the agenda, we had attention to it, we had an agreed upon definition of the problem, but that doesn't mean that Congress is going to respond in the way that you'd like. So back up a minute here, because we've talked about agenda setting and given you a bit of an idea about what it is, but it's sort of theory time at this point because we have to introduce to you a, a framework for trying to understand agenda setting and why some problems really come to the fore and other things are ignored. And at this point, we're going to talk a little bit about John Kingdon and his framework. So who was this guy, Scott? He was a professor, professor of political science at the University of Michigan, who in the 1970s, which I'm sure is fresh in all of your memory, went racing out and did a bunch of interviews on two topics. One was health policy and the other was transportation policy on essentially the Carter administration. And he came up with a very simple and very elegant theory that explains politics and teaches you about American politics really well, even today. And I want to underline, his theory isn't just based on knowing a whole lot and talking to a whole lot of policymakers. It's based on a theory of organizational decision-making, which is why you can listen to this, have no interest in politics, try to avoid further engagement in formal politics of any sort, and still draw lessons that are going to be useful for any kind of an interaction with a management team or to get a group of people to do something, any kind of decision-making, public, private, or otherwise. Yeah, I have actually been to some of our alumni events uh, where we have UM alums who are from the HMP programs come along, and a few of them have said, you know what, I still remember Kingdon and the Kingdon framework, and that was one of the most useful things I ever learned. So. I don't want to underestimate this framework just because uh, it's based on research that was conducted in the 1970s. It really is somewhat relevant today, I think. So tell me about, what's the name of this theory, Scott? Multiple Streams Framework, although Kingdon was too humble to name it after himself. So somebody else called it Multiple Streams. Huh, okay. I never knew that, actually. Um, so... What's the basics here? I think there are, there must be multiple streams given the name, but what are the streams and what do they do? So this is why I'm a political scientist and not a baker, because a cake requires six ingredients. An agenda requires three. Policy, a policy idea, something you want to see happen, something that somebody wants to see happen. Politics, politicians who want to do something in this area and a problem to get the attention. So three Ps, policy, politics, and problem. Each one of them is a stream. They don't have to coincide. The policy development stream doesn't have to coincide with what's going on in politics. Right now I'm recording this under the Trump administration. There's a lot of democratic policy ideas being developed and worked out and evaluated that have zero chance of being taken up by President Donald Trump. So what are these three streams? The first one is policies. This is policy debate and policy conversation. This is where you find academics and advocates and lobbyists and some of the more reflective journalists. It's what you're participating in 
when you get a policy idea and you want to promote it. Now I want to underline that policies exist independently of the need for the policy. When I'm speaking to live groups, I usually stop and say, raise your hand if you've ever heard of a problem in healthcare that you haven't been told will be solved by health IT expenditure. <laughs> Actually, that's a really good example. One time, once, out of the thousands of people I've done this with, somebody stuck his hand up and said rural healthcare. And everyone skipped a beat in shock and then more or less unanimously screamed telehealth. In other words, mm -hmm. health IT's got lots and lots of advocates, lots and lots of people who want to see more health IT because they're paid to sell health IT or because they honestly believe in it. It doesn't matter. They're policy entrepreneurs. And that means that they will sell their policy, whatever it may be. You see this over and over again. You see people who say that health savings accounts will solve anything, that Medicare for all will solve any problem, that attention to equalities will solve any problem, that a free market will solve any problem. It goes on and on and on. Policy entrepreneurs get attached to a policy idea. And the policy ideas live and die by whether they have entrepreneurs, not by whether they're necessary or useful or well thought out. So hang on a minute. This is kind of the opposite of evidence-based policy because we're always being told policy must be evidence-based and it's got to be based on research and data. And so this is a very antithetical idea to that, the idea that, you know, actually there's a whole group of people in organizations like think tanks and advocacy groups and law professional lobbyists whose job it is to actually sell the idea not to base the idea on the data it's a standing joke in silicon valley that tech companies set up with a technology that they think will solve a problem they spend the money on the technology it turns out that the problem doesn't need solving or the technology doesn't solve the problem and they pivot instantly to some other problem that they think their technology will solve and this goes a long way back. Listerine went through six or eight different uses before they settled on persuading dentists to endorse it as an oral hygiene measure. It included cleaning solution, basically. And they finally lay it settled on your mouth after they discovered it made your house sticky. So this is sort of a policy version of the entrepreneurial state, the idea that um, people putting policy recommendations together, some of them are sort of entrepreneurs that are selling this idea and looking for the right market for that idea. This field begets metaphors. I mean, they are policy entrepreneurs who are entrepreneurs selling policy. Mm -hmm. And what they produce, new metaphor, are Christmas trees, which is- What? They're ornamented with all the justifications. So a long-standing policy idea that's been floating around forever, like say, co-payments and user fees, mm -hmm. just gets decorated with different justifications that are put forth. And that takes us to the second P, which is the politics. Okay, so hang on, recap, we've got first stream is policy, second stream is politics. And we'll get to the problem in a moment. Politics simply means a politician who is interested in making a mark on the issue. Politicians live and die by making a mark. They spend a lot of time trying to avoid blame for things, but they're always looking for something to be known for. Go check the Twitter feed or the press releases of any elected politician and you'll hear them going on claiming credit for this and that frequently really local stuff. They got a post office renamed or they got some money allocated to fix a road somewhere. Politicians want to do something that will get their name out in front of their voters and in front of other political elites for having achieved something. So that's what people say when they're discussing advocacy and they tell you that you need a champion. You need a politician who thinks that making a mark on this agenda item is going to be advantageous for their career.
that at least it won't get them into electoral trouble. Oh, I've got a great example here. So um, Gretchen Whitmer, who is currently the governor of Michigan, uh, got an award actually from Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids for her tobacco control advocacy around youth. And in particular, she did a couple of things. She uh, tried to get Tobacco 21 passed in the state, and then she also included, um, through executive order, a a ban on flavoured tobacco products. And I think in terms of those tobacco control issues, it was definitely a case of her looking to signal nationally, hey, I would kind of like to be president, look at the policy agendas I'm putting into place. And in particular, there was an emphasis on Michigan being first around the flavor ban and going a bit further than other states to try and tackle youth smoking. And so that was clearly exactly this, an example of the politics stream at work, an example of credit claiming for taking a policy action. And I think the vaping will give us the problem in a second, because that's a classic case. Some policy entrepreneurs, in this case from the tobacco control community, got to Gretchen Whitmer and said, this is an area where you can make a name for yourself for having done something good. Now, politics is really hard. It's a full-time job. So one of the classic mistakes is to say, I have a great policy idea. Manifestly, I should get a champion in politics and then it will happen. Well, no. Politics is a full-time game, just like science and advocacy. You need people who are in the game, who can identify politicians, and who can explain why that issue works for them who can explain why out of all the different things they could try to make their name for doing, this is the thing. Yeah, and I think also with politics, you have to understand the timing. They have to understand how the legislature's working and when it's not working and when how politicians are kind of spending their time throughout the year. Like a, thing, a Michigan thing that I had never thought of because obviously you can tell from my accent I'm English is hunting season. I had not thought of that. And of course, anybody's understanding of politics has to take that into account when are politicians um, really interfacing with certain groups and when are they not and what are they actually trying to actively do throughout the year a really basic one is don't buy ads for anything in iowa during the harvest the rest of the year radio is great value in iowa because they play it in the barns but during harvest season nobody's hanging around in a barn they're working see i learned so much from you i never knew that either Um, I guess there's a Midwestern theme to this example. Okay, so that's the politics stream. What about the problem stream? If you're a politician of any level, you have policy entrepreneurs absolutely lined up around the block outside your door. You can't go anywhere without somebody proposing a policy idea or a problem that they want you to solve. What are we doing in this class? We are coming up with arguments that there's problems politicians should address and policy ideas they should use. We're being policy entrepreneurs. So how do you break through? You don't just need a politician who's interested and an idea that's workable. You also need a problem it addresses. So you can reminisce about the glory days when Gretchen Whitmer had something like 60 people who had died of vaping additives and used it to promote her tobacco control agenda. 60 people, 60 deaths counted as a problem in late 2019 in the United States. COVID-19 gave her an entirely different problem. The problem stream of COVID-19 dominated the agenda so that unless your policy was relevant to it, you are not going to get any politician's attention. COVID absolutely swept everything else off of the table. It was the dominant problem. 
until in the wonderful summer of 2020, we had the Black Lives Matter protests, the George Floyd protests, and locally in Michigan, we also had a dam break that flooded the city of Midland. So suddenly there's multiple problems competing for the attention of politicians and some kind of space on the agenda. And part of the extent to which they're going to actually change the agenda is the extent to which these problems are matched by ambitious politicians and what look like workable policy ideas. So when the three come together, you get a window of opportunity. A window of opportunity is when something gets onto the agenda. It's when the three streams couple. So it's when a policy idea, such as banning additives for electronic cigarettes, politics, a politician who wants to make a mark, such as then newly elected Gretchen Whitmer, and a problem, such as people dying from vaping additives, come together. And what gets on the agenda? Some kind of action on e-cigarettes. Fast forwarding, a whole lot of ideas around police reform, many of which were characterized as defund the police, got onto the agenda as the policy responses when a whole lot of politicians realized that solving the problems identified by the George Floyd protesters was going to be crucial to their political futures. That's the window of opportunity. That's when things get onto the agenda. One of the implications of this theory is that policy entrepreneurs can't make the weather. They do their best to generate problems by press releasing bad things going on. They do their best to attract and persuade politicians. But everyone is getting kicked around by events. Nobody's plans for 2020 included a worldwide pandemic and gigantic protests that appear to have created, for at least a short time, an unprecedented change in American public opinion on key issues. But the other implication is that being there with a workable policy idea is crucial. And it is the extent to which people can be there on the spot with something that sounds good. Here's where evidence base comes in that looks like it's actually going to deliver what the politicians want to deliver and who can do something, right? What kinds of interventions can we use to replace broken policing models? What kinds of expenditure do you remove police money to if you defund the police? How do you change the internal incentives of the police? This is where you do the hard work of figuring out what kinds of policies are actually likely to be effective. So for example, when the vast racial disparities and absolute high level of American maternal mortality got onto the agenda, the best available policy idea was essentially federal legislation for doing some surveillance, for figuring out the nature, scope, location of the problem. Now, maternal mortality, as we've discussed, is a much bigger problem that would require much bigger social change to address than a surveillance scheme. But a surveillance scheme was the thing that was there looked actionable, had been tested out in the policy stream, and politicians could see a way that they could vote for that, not incur any downside risk, get it on the agenda, and be happy to take it back to their constituents and say, this is a thing I did. So the focus is on getting a policy idea that's actionable, that's workable, that you can sell to a politician as a response to this and any other problem. And that actually tends to make American politics a rough place for big systemic transformations. Because a lot of the time, the policy entrepreneurs aren't ready with an idea that's going to actually be saleable to politicians, that's possibly passable, and that is going to address really big social problems. And I feel like that's 
something that's worth pausing on because I think a lot of the time, one of the ways to set the agenda, one effective way to set the agenda is to have broader based social action. When you look at the history of social movements, quite often they are a means of getting energy around an issue about reframing a problem and bringing it to the attention of people with power or of indeed like challenging that distribution of power. But I think in our political system, we quite often, politicians especially, gravitate towards those solutions which are sort of packaged for their consumption, essentially. And so I think we need to be aware of that tendency and think big. Sometimes I talk about having a policy imagination, which means, in my mind, keeping open the full range of ideas and changes that could be made. And so I don't want to get too far in, and I don't want my students to get too far into this mindset that they have to select the narrowest possible policy option in order to be successful. But I think we do have to be aware sometimes that big change takes a lot of sustained effort over a long period of time in advocacy. So um, this is, I don't think it's really a critique of Kindle's framework. I think though it is a critique a little bit of the policy economy essentially that has policy entrepreneurs packaging ideas and then selling them to politicians with this quite narrow view of what the public wants to see what politicians want to see and a disconnect really from bigger change agendas um, that would be more closely connected to, to social movements or protest movements and a word on that Politicians systematically overestimate how conservative their constituents are. They systematically, on any question, get the percentage of people who take a conservative point of view on it wrong, quite often by a lot, 20 or 30% of their district. So a key part of persuading politicians is persuading them that they actually don't understand their own voters and that they can get away with doing bigger things than they actually are thinking about. Okay, so I feel at this point we should wrap this discussion of agenda setting up a little bit because we're getting into some stuff that's going to be really good in the forthcoming sessions. We're going to be talking about framing uh, and some of these other issues in a bit more depth. So to summarize, what are our three streams, Scott? The policy stream, where you find policy entrepreneurs and where ideas are developed and battle-tested and worked out and we hope some evidence is used against them and for them. The politics stream which is where the politicians and their advisors live. And what are the incentives in the politics stream? What is going to make your name and advance you in politics or at least let you get reelected? And who are the people? Who are the exact personalities and what are they trying to do? And then finally, the problem. Now, you don't control the problem often. Plane crashes put transportation safety on the agenda. Global pandemics put public health on the agenda. You try to tailor your policy idea to the problem of the day. So people who work on health inequalities tailored it to COVID-19. They tailored it to the election. Finally, when these three come together, and most of the time they don't come together, you have the window of opportunity, which is when something can get onto the agenda. So policy, politics, problem. It should be easy enough to grasp, as in I figured it out and I still can't bake a cake. I definitely can bake a cake. I'm not sure your six ingredients idea is necessarily correct, but I'll give you this one for now. 
I was told that. I wouldn't know. You can tell who does all the baking in our house. Okay, so that's the lowdown on agenda setting. We're going to be revisiting this a little bit as we go through, and hopefully you'll get a sense of the different ways you can use a framework like this to understand what's going on in a policy area. And that applies to internal policy within an organization too. So many of the dynamics that we've talked about today in a political context also work very well in a management context within a large organization. So we hope that you'll find this, like many of our alums, a useful, flexible framework that can be applied in different circumstances. It's the old pair of jokes. Something must be done. This is something, therefore it must be done. That's what a policy entrepreneur wants to achieve. And the equivalent joke that any politician will know, which is, don't just do something, stand there. This has been a podcast of the HMP Governance Lab. If you're interested in learning more about our work, you can visit us on the web at www.hmpgovernancelab.org or follow us on Twitter at HMPGovLab. <laughs>